0: Hello, guys, it's Sarah, and welcome to the Life as an Experiment podcast where I cover a range of personal growth topics, but specifically ones that explore the many ways in which we can take back our power, confidence, and control in our lives, dive deeper within ourselves, deal with all our negative beliefs head on, as true as societal expectations, and live life authentically, fully, and without regrets. Hey, everyone. As some of you know, um I ended my master's uh degree, you know, course earlier this year. Right. It was a two year course and it was uh quite painful, right? Because I was actually balancing it with my full time job. Um and I switched jobs as well in the in the middle of um my, my studies. It was quite a lot of um reading. Uh, lots and lots of reading, you know, studying up things, uh, researching things on my own, and writing a lot of essays, right? So I actually um, ended up sacrificing a lot of my weekends. Um, I didn't really have much of a social life, I would have to say, um, because uh, it's just, you know, the weekends are just when, when it's, it's a good time for me to actually finish my, my, my studies, um, to catch up on, on lessons and things like that. But um, as some of you might know, um, you know, after following me for so many years, is that I actually really like learning and studying. Um, so although I do complain a little bit about, you know, um, the work that I had to do during my master's and, you know, feeling all the stress from it, um, I do kind of miss it a little. I do miss being a student. Um I actually do regret not really taking my, you know, my university or college life a little bit more seriously and studying a little bit harder. But anyway. <laughs> um yeah, and and right now I'm actually, you know, already researching what other things to study. Yeah, other other courses and other lessons that I can pick up. So for me, I've always been very fascinated by, you know, learning techniques, right? I'm very fascinated by how, you know, as as humans, how do we actually pay attention? How do we actually focus on something? How our brain and memory works? And what types of learning techniques do our brains actually respond to more? Because some learning techniques are very, very useful, whereas some are not effective at all, you know, in terms of retaining information. and some of my listeners, who you know happen to be students themselves, have also asked me what you know. How do I actually study effectively? You know, like what is effective learning, and and why is it that this is the main question that I get? Why is it that they are spending so much time learning, but they can't actually remember much after they learn, after they study, right? And um, the key issue I've realized is that many of us are probably using the not so effective techniques to study, which then affects our ability to retain information after studying and did you know the usual techniques that we use include you know um, highlighting rote memorizing rewriting of notes all of the all of the usual common ones that you know um, all of us students actually do these techniques are actually not as effective as we think they are right so um in this podcast uh I actually you know, got my hands on a very fascinating piece of research um, a couple of years back. And I'll break down this research uh, article um, you know, into the, the, the 10 steps that the researchers actually found. So it's a research article by Dan Lofsky and colleagues. Okay, I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, this group of researchers actually analysed 10 different common techniques, learning techniques, and ranked them according to their usefulness in helping people learn effectively and recall information accurately. So this will not only be useful in um, your studies or in learning any um, information, but it's also useful when you're trying to learn anything that is very content heavy, right, and where you actually need to retain information for long periods of time. So this will also be helpful, you know, in say, like, you know, retaining information from a book. Right. So, OK, without any further ado, let's start with the most effective techniques. OK, so he- the very first technique that um, the researchers actually talked about is what they actually call practice testing. OK, and what is practice testing? So practice testing involves, for example, recalling information via actual or virtual flashcards, Completing practice problems or questions at the end of textbook chapters. And completing practice tests with electronic resources. Okay, so how does it really work? So testing actually enhances retention by triggering an elaborative retrieval process. Okay, um, what does this mean? It means that the brain, um, you know, when retrieving relevant information our brain is then able to activate other related information. So all this information is processed together during learning, okay? And we, you know, are able to then understand, organize, recall, and process information, Um, you know, which then increases with each practice test. So this leads to better learning, retention, and better test performances, right? So the effectiveness really lies in, you know, um, the more tests that you have you know the more tests that you give yourself the better the results will be because there will be more retrievals of the correct information okay and um, it's also more effective when there is a longer resting period between tests so not to test yourself you know like every like 10 minutes or like within half an hour you know you have like three you know three different tests but it's kind of letting your brain rest and to kind of, you know, um, digest the information on its own because our brain actually has its own wonderful ways of, you know, digesting um, and, and, and going through information that it has accumulated throughout the day. So this resting period actually helps. And Practice testing is also more effective when it's c- accompanied with feedback. So you know, feedback meaning that you know whether you are right or wrong. Um, you know, areas in which you have actually missed out and areas in which you need to improve on, right? And um, practice testing is also great because um, it you know it involves very minimal training and it's not very time consuming. So uh, self tests can be done via you know um flashcards or you know like the summary section of the Cornell note taking system, which I'm sure some of you are quite familiar with um so yeah it's it's actually pretty uh pretty quick it's a pretty quick process and it's also effective across a range of practice formats material and learners ages so it doesn't really matter how young or how old you are but testing always works and personally i've actually used this method a lot during my master's degree and um, especially for very, very complicated concepts or, you know, very chunky uh, bits of the textbook or, you know, um, the, the, the lecture notes where I actually don't really understand what's going on. So I actually kind of write out, you know... Um, questions to myself and once I'm done with studying that particular section I actually test myself and ask, you know, myself what are the, the concepts and to explain to myself what, you know, different um, definitions or different meanings or different things are. And then when I, you know, I find out that you know there's a particular gap that I actually have, I actually um, go on and then, you know, go on to YouTube or go onto the, the internet or whatever it is to try and find out more information. So I find that practice testing really, really, really helps. And, um, you know, it's great to actually incorporate this into your learning. Right. The second most effective method is called distributed practice. And what this really means is that, you know, you spread the learning sessions across a period of time um, as this benefits retention. And this, is, this has been found to be better than mass learning sessions done back to back or in very close succession. Okay, so how this really works is, you know, when sometimes study sessions are too close together, there are these things called missed learning opportunities. Okay, this is because our brains don't try very hard to retrieve information as everything is still fresh in our working memories right so working memory is just a type of memory that um we have in our in our brains and there's a very limited amount of space in this working memory okay um i'll explain memories in another episode uh, further down the road but right now um you know having 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 you know not having rest in between your study sessions might actually you know mislead us into thinking that we know the material more than we actually do okay so um the effectiveness levels are actually pretty similar to pre- like what I mentioned uh, earlier. And it also works across a wide variety of materials. So, um, you know, it works with people of different ages. It's also easy to implement and requires little to no training. Right, so just now earlier on, um, in the very first method of practice testing, I also mentioned, you know, having rest or breaks in between your study sessions, uh, in between your tests, um, this is really to give your mind some time off, you know, from constantly digesting the material but our brains have, you know, wonderful fascinating things and they actually digest the material when we don't even know that we are actually digest- digesting it um, so it's best to actually give you know, uh, ourselves a little bit of a break so that we, you know, can come back to it and know that, you know, what are things that we're missing out on and, uh, you know, the, the, the things that we actually, you know, need to actually remember a little bit better. So distributed practice is basically just you know having breaks in between your learning sessions and not cramming everything together especially on the night before your exams right yeah so yeah this is an effective uh, method to use as well right and the next um the next, the third uh, method is called elaborative interrogation. And this is really just, you know, asking why. So asking why all the time uh, when you're studying actually facilitates deeper learning. Okay. And um, it prompts us to actually generate an explanation for a situation or a fact. And it integrates new information with prior knowledge and helps us organize and recall information. Okay. So it's effective because... Um, it's actually useful in recalling very simple lists of um, uh, items that you need to study, but it's actually difficult to do for more complex and lengthier material. Okay, and I can attest to this because I actually really like um, this elaborative interrogation method. What I actually did was, um, for very complicated concepts when I was doing my master's course, I'll actually take out the course syllabus and I'll actually go through... Um, you know, the, the, the what, what are the key things that actually you need to take away from the from the particular lesson. And by the way, your course syllabuses, your course syllabi, I mean, they are very, very um, important in actually structuring and guiding your learning. So, you know, a lot of us kind of ignore it and put it aside, you know, things like, you know, contents page. Um, but it's not, it's actually very useful and it's a useful structure to actually use to frame your studying, right? So, um, do do refer back to your syllabi often. Right, and... um. I find that asking myself why constantly actually also helped improve the way I actually um, uh, could explain material to myself. So places where I actually couldn't really answer my why questions, I knew that there was an area where I needed to do a little bit more learning, a little bit more um, deeper research on. Yeah, so this is the elaborative interrogation method or asking yourself why. Right, and the next method is called the self-explanation method. Okay, so it's solving a problem whilst explaining how you arrived at the solution or the process. And how it works is really just, you know, concurrent explanations enhances learning by integrating new and existing information. And this is effective because you can use it for a wide variety of tasks and content, right? But the downside of it is that, you know, you'll be a better self-explainer if you've already have strong content knowledge. And um, for some people... Self-explaining does not really come naturally and requires much practice and training. Right, so the self-explanation method, I tend to I, I tend to actually use it with the, you know, the elaborative uh, interrogation method, of asking why. So, you know, once I ask my why's and I know where are the gaps, I'm going to do my learning and my research. And then, you know, once I get a complete picture, then I try to, you know, explain a concept to myself. So really, this can actually be also tied in with, you know, practice um, testing um, or, you know, just... just Try and like test yourself by asking yourself, you know, questions and you know writing down questions and then coming back to it and trying to answer them. So you don't have to really verbalize your explanations, but you can actually write it down as well. But I find this to be a very very good way of um answering, especially open ended, um you know unstructured, uh questions, especially in in science papers and things like that, um geography papers, history papers as well to some extent. So um this this method actually works and it actually really helps you to really understand and digest um, the learning but it has to be used uh, together with other methods as well right yep so okay um the next method okay it's called the interlived okay this is you know the mixing up of different skills in a single study session so for example you know you're studying something related to problem solving and then you introduce other topics or subjects that also involve problem solving and um this has been you know said to help enhance your learning right so how does it work so for example when a math student is solving for the volume of a solid okay for example a a wedge or something Um, The solution used previously to solve a different kind of solid, for example, a cube, can be used to solve the wedge uh, problem as well, right? So this involves retrieving the information or the formula for a cube from memory. And um, interleaved practice is also known as delayed practice testing. um, And it is also known to actually boost retrieval of information and thus memory. Right, and um, its effectiveness level is that, you know, it helps you see the differences, the similarities and the links between ideas and different problems. Okay, it helps you to organise uh, information and aids in processing items specific to a particular topic. And this is particularly effective um, for mathematical skills, but um, the researchers say that more research needs to be done to actually determine this. Um, I have to be honest; I haven't really actually uh, done interlift practice because I'm not really a math uh, student um, and suck at math as well. Um, but this might actually help you if you actually need, like you know, um, to learn formulas for different things. So maybe physics or chemistry as well might might actually be helpful. Um, yeah, it's kind of like combining what you learn from other things and then kind of, you know, extrapolating it to other topics and other similar um problem solving uh I mean problems as well. But this I feel like probably will only have very limited use depending on the topic or the the problem that you're actually um solving. Um I don't think it would actually be very um well used in certain kinds of um subjects and certain kinds of topics like, i i cannot really imagine how this can be used in like in studying linguistics for example i don't know maybe you know grammar structures across um different uh, languages right I, i'm not sure i haven't tried this yet so if any of you have tried this method and actually you know found that it works um besides uh you know mathematics just just yeah just drop me a comment i would love to know Right, so some of the least effective techniques, okay, so we are coming to the um, uh, end. So the least effective technique, number one, summarization okay so yeah i think all of us are quite familiar with this so capturing the important points and gist of the text whilst excluding unimportant details right so it involves extracting information with high level meaning and main points in the material and um apparently it aids our retention okay but research has found that you know the effectiveness levels of summaries um it, your summary has to be of really really high quality for it to be actually effective, right? And high quality summarization actually requires extensive training, and I can attest to that. Okay, um, summaries may also be affected by the individual's interest or knowledge in a subject writing skill and ability to extract the correct information. I think this is the really important bit because if you're unable to actually extract um, the correct information, you will actually end up with the wrong kind of summary, which was what happened when I was a student. I was using the Cornell um, note-taking method. I will always summarise, you know, lessons and all that. But I found that my summaries actually got shorter and shorter and, you know, even more and more brief and it didn't even take in, like, any of the correct information. Um, And it was only when I started working that I realised, you know, to write a very high-quality summary, you actually really need some sort of training. It's not easy to actually pick up you know, the correct information and then to condense it into a very succinct paragraph and actually learn from that, you know, study that paragraph. is very difficult to do. Um, lots of us are actually not great at condensing material. We are great at elaborating and, uh, you know, rambling, but not so much at summarizing and condensing material. So, yeah, summariz- summarization does not really work, okay? I know a lot of us actually use this, especially students, but, yeah, please... Um, Try not to use this as much, you know, unless you, you are able to condense uh, points very well. Um, if you really want to learn better, you know, try the other techniques that I mentioned above, right? So summarization is one of the low effectiveness techniques. The second one is actually, highlighting and underlining, okay? This is pretty self-explanatory because all of us do it. Okay, and how it works is that you know it it's it's kind of like the isolation effect, so a more distinct uh, item on the list, uh, you know, is 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 kind of highlighted and you know remembered than its non-highlighted counterparts. Okay, so um. The levels of effectiveness uh, is quite simple. It usually doesn't require any kind of training or investment of time beyond reading the material, right? But it has plenty of downsides, okay? I'll list some of them to you. So it firstly prevents people from engaging in other more effective and productive strategies. Yes, because so many of us take so much of time to highlight stuff, okay? But we we, we spend so much time highlighting and not really testing ourselves, for example. Okay, and secondly, it actually has to be paired with another technique to be truly effective, for example, note-taking. So an additional technique is required if the reader has to decide which is important. This then prompts them to think of the meaning of the text and how the different pieces of information are related, right? So this um, actually feeds into the point that you know highlighting and underlining is actually not a very active learning exercise. You are actually very passively just you know um, drawing across the page. But you know to really really remember the text, this is not going to help at all, right? Because um you really need to pair it up with something else, like maybe a test um method or like a note taking method for it to be really useful, and. Um, the third downside is that you know researchers also found that it only worked if students were tested on things that they highlighted, right? So if you're not tested on things that are highlighted, or you you actually miss out highlighting the stuff that you know actually came out in the exams, which has happened to me so many times, um, then yeah, then this 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 method is actually one of the one of the, you know the cons of this method, yeah, um, highlighting things that actually are not very useful. Right, and the next downside, you know, um, it, it only works if you actually highlight the text yourselves and you're actually unmemorizing items highlighted by someone else. And this is a really good point because I always, you know, we we highlight our texts in different ways because for all of us, you know, different things actually stand out to us, right? Because we have different perceptions of things. So whenever I read notes, you know, from a friend or, you know, from a from a lecturer and it's already highlighted, I actually don't really absorb it as well um, because, you know, probably the things that they highlight are not things that I would highlight, for example. So um not very useful right and next downside overmarking versus undermarking okay so overmarking reduces the distinctiveness of the text and people will be less likely to remember the highlighted bits okay this is because it takes less processing to mark a lot of text versus singling out most important details and that is usually the problem that many of us have so you see, right, that your textbooks actually have so many highlights in them. You know, sometimes I will actually end up like highlighting an entire paragraph and actually that paragraph is not really important at all. Okay. Um, and, you know, the thing is that when you highlight so much, you know, nothing then stands out because highlighting is supposed to be, you know, making some text more distinct so that you can remember or learn a little bit better. But if you're highlighting too much, then that's not going to help, right? Yeah. And the next downside is um, it's also pretty dependent on your prior knowledge of the topic. Okay, so those of you who are less familiar um with the topic will actually struggle with knowing which parts of the text are actually more important. And this is also very true because when I was doing my neuroscience topics in my master's degree, I wasn't very familiar. I'm not very familiar in neuroscience and I've long, you know, thrown away all my bio and chem chemistry and stuff and you know, like, yeah, given it all back to a teacher. So not really very, very familiar with the content and I actually didn't really know what was important. So everything seemed like it was important to me. Um, and I ended up, you know, highlighting like, like I think 90% of all my notes, which really didn't help then because I then do- didn't know what to study for my exam. So, yeah, it's really, really dependent on your topic, you know, your I mean, your knowledge of the topic. So, if you're not very familiar with the topic, highlighting doesn't help at all. Right, and the last downside, it reduces the ability to make inferences. So, what does this mean? Highlighting actually draws your attention to individual concepts, you know, like like more for memory, for facts, than connections across concepts or inference. So really, it only helps you to remember things like in silos. So I feel that, you know, you're sometimes when you highlight stuff, you end up memorizing like, you know, things just on the page, um, you know, things in the paragraph, but you don't really link it across to other, um, you know, other concepts or other kinds of points from, you know, the other uh, topics um, and other chapters. Yeah, so I've actually found that... It, you know, highlighting is actually very, very simple, which is why, you know, all of us actually use it, but it's actually really, really not effective. You don't really learn, um, you know, you don't really learn much, you don't really retain, um, and there's always the the risk that you are not highlighting the correct parts or you're over-highlighting, which, you know, then doesn't help at all. Yeah, so, um... Highlighting is, you know, uh, if you're doing a lot of highlighting nowadays for studies, you know, try to lessen it. You know, try to, I mean, highlight the distinct parts, you know, really, really, like, really important parts. But, you know, try to combine it with other methods. So, like, you know, the testing method, um, the note-taking method, any other method that is, you know, a little bit more um, effective than just highlighting. Because highlighting, honestly, is not really a very... Um, learning technique and really when you want to learn effectively you know look out for the techniques that are more um, active learning like you know uh, practice testing and the next not very effective method is um, known as the keyword mnemonic so it's actually used across a wide variety of materials and across ages. Okay, so the popular users include um, studying foreign language vocabulary, um, obscure scientific English definitions, people's names, medical terminology. So it's usually, um, I think you guys are pretty familiar with this. So it's usually used like, you know, like, like, like flashcards. Um, so you kind of like, you know, usually use it for like, um, definitions of things and all, right? So it's used to, um, form associated images. So for example, you know, um, the Spanish, Spanish word ladent is actually called a tooth, right? So, uh, students can actually imagine a dentist holding a tooth with pliers, right? So, um, with regards to its effectiveness level, um, it cannot actually be used with abstract terms and complex definitions. It's limited to very keyword-friendly words, okay, so like nouns and um, like what I said earlier, definitions, okay, so and it, it does not also retain information very well. The associated images actually may disappear a few days or weeks after the test. Okay, and the third thing is that um, extensive training is actually needed to develop interactive images and keywords. And this is actually time-consuming. Right, so mnemonics are actually something that um, was taught to me when I was younger and it was used in line with uh, mind mapping. But I've never really caught on to mind mapping. I actually found it very, very time-consuming to actually, you know, do up different images and then draw, you know, the different, like, like trees and different branches, you know, and the, the images and the colours and all that. Um I found it very, uh, yeah, I just took up a lot of my time. I spent most of my time actually doing up the mnemonic or the pictures than actually learning anything. So, um, yeah, and I'm not a image. I'm not someone that remembers things visually or by images. If those of you who are um, more visual learners, this might actually work for you. But most of us are not, if I'm not wrong, um, most of us are not really uh, visual learners. So, um, yeah, just keep in mind this when you're actually, you know, using the mnemonic method Um, yeah it's not actually really very effective and it's only useful you know if you're not learning very complex um, concepts right so the next not really very effective uh study method is actually rereading okay so it's pretty pretty self-explanatory um and you know how it works is that uh qualitatively you know it might actually increase the total amount of information encoded in our brains and um quantitatively it might actually affect you know high level and low level information differently okay so our brains are better able to differentiate high level versus low level information after a few rereads so this is kind of like the um hypothesis from uh yeah from from you know research that has been done on on the effectiveness of rereading right but really um you know, this is a method that doesn't really require much training at all um, and very little guidance as well, and it's not time-consuming, okay? Uh, rereading with breaks between reading, um, you know, the, the breaks again, you know, coming back to the, the rest and the breaks in between sessions, it needs to be there to, for this method to be effective because it enhances retrieval of uh, information. However, breaks cannot be too long, okay? A break that is a couple of days uh, long improves performances but not a couple of weeks. Okay, and studies with students that are younger than college age um, for this particular method um, is still inconclusive. And um, rereading also greatly depends on other factors, like our knowledge uh, and ability of the topics, and it also helps with memory. Okay, so when it comes to aiding comprehension, um, you know, research findings are actually inconclusive and uh it's actually relatively in ineffective compared to others like testing or elaborative interrogation okay um i actually find that rereading can be a little bit more effective than say you know uh, highlighting or whatever but you know rereading in a sense it's it's just you know really just you rereading the same things over and over again so it's actually quite time consuming personally i find and um again you know reading is not a very active uh learning technique And um, it doesn't really aid uh, in the long run in terms of like, you know, retrieving, retaining and uh, storing information, right? So um, again, this is one of the low utility uh, study methods, right? And last but not least, uh, imagery used for text learning. Okay, so it's mentally imagining the contents of each paragraph of text, whilst whilst reading right and how it works is that you know you develop images which enhances organization integration integration of information and learning of the text right and its effectiveness levels um it actually works better when done whilst listening to text versus reading it okay because um reading whilst trying to form mental images disrupts the thought process needed for processing images right because you process image and you read uh image uh read and process images from the same part of the brain right so it's actually mentally disruptive and it also works better with um text that can actually be visualized so for example you know a fiction or narratives more than abstract text okay and it can be used in many more contexts than the mnemonics method which i mentioned above um but its effectiveness has been really inconsistent across studies and further research is needed right so again imagery use and mnemonics um you know in terms of like a study technique it's actually i really only find it very useful for a specific segment of the population who are more like you know very very visual learners and, um, you know, the, for the rest of us, because visual learners are not really a lot of people in the population, so for the rest of us, this might actually not be very useful. Okay, so those are the 10 um, learning techniques, okay, ranked from the most, uh, the most effective to the least effective. Okay, so again, it's uh, a very short recap, the most effective techniques are the practice testing and uh, distributed practice techniques. Um, the moderate effective techniques are the elaborative interrogation, which is asking why, the self-explanation technique, uh, the interlift practice, those are the three moderate uh, effectiveness, effective techniques, and the least effective techniques are the summarization, um, highlighting and underlining, keyword mnemonic, rereading, as well as imagery used for text learning. Right, so um, what are some takeaways or some key action steps that, you know, you can actually, you know, use for your for your studying of your learning. Firstly, um, you know, learn how to explore how different techniques might be suitable for different types of material. So for example, you know, asking why or elaborative uh, interrogation can be really useful for simple lists versus, you know, self-explanations for actually learning new problems, right? So um, try to be, you know, a little bit more flexible in terms of how you actually use the different study techniques for the different types of uh, topics or different types of um, yeah, material that is actually needed. Right, and secondly, combine different techniques. Okay, so many of us are actually very comfortable, you know, with the techniques in the low utility category, you know, like highlighting and summarizing and rereading um, because it's very, actually, it's actually very little effort, right? But uh, we need to actually combine them with other Uh, techniques in the high or the moderate categories for you know greater effectiveness so summarizing on its own like i said earlier you know it's not actually really bad per se but you really need to know how to condense information well and it's probably only better used if you combine it with other you know techniques like note-taking and um you know testing yourself right and thirdly always include a test as part of your revision okay so this is uh making use of the practice testing method um explore some of the methods that i mentioned earlier you know like using flashcards or you know um you know using your own unique ways of uh, testing yourself so for me i just write it on a piece of paper i actually cover it and cover the answer um, I write the questions and the answers, cover the answer, and then I ask myself the you know, question later on, and then I recite the answer. So I find that really, really helps for very complex, um, you know, concepts and uh, for, for more abstract sort of uh, topics as well. Right. And the last um, takeaway or action step is that, you know, to ensure that there is a comfortable level of difficulty or challenge when learning. Okay, it can greatly improve your long-term retention as you are forced to process material more deeply. Uh, we can't always uh, really ensure this, but um, you know, in terms of uh, our brains, we actually work very well when there's a very moderate level of uh, challenge or difficulty because it actually... Um, enhances the learning process a little bit better right if it, sometimes it's sometimes is too simple uh we tend to forget it a little bit more easily and if it's too difficult you know the brain actually finds it very difficult to actually um retain information so yeah a comfortable level of uh, challenge but you know um we can't really choose what we learn so yeah this is only you know what we actually we, ha- we have to do what we have to do right yeah so we've actually um you know come to the end of the episode so I really hope that, you know, that was really, really useful for you in helping you learn your next set of materials, you know, be it your books or your, your lecture notes or your, your readings, you know. It's useful even for reading books. Okay, so do remember to leave uh, a comment uh, for me um, or get in touch. You know, I love to hear from all my readers and my listeners. So do email me at abstractedcollective at, email at gmail.com. Okay, that is abstractive and ED collective. Or yeah, just reach out to me on Instagram, you know, if I'm on Instagram actually um, quite often these days and my handle is abstracted collective as well so if you do like the show uh remember to tell your friend and please uh rate and review on itunes or anywhere else you get your podcast it's gonna help others like them you know or like you find it more easily right and um i'm still opening up my coaching slots as well as my beta testers for my new courses um if you're interested just get in touch and you know um yeah and we'll work something out Right, so till next time, okay, happy studying, happy reading, happy learning, and um, take good care of yourself.